I am Sarah Vine, and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour for Male Plus. I am joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones, who is in Turkey. Imogen. Bonjour. Bonjour. I don't even speak Turkish, so I would say. (laughs) So you are what I like to call WFH, which is not working from home, it's working from holiday, Mm. which is what we all seem to be doing at the moment. That's hilarious. Do you know what? The reason why I'm talking to you on a telephone (laughs) is because there are four people in Mm. this house. They are all on Zoom as we speak. They're basically dressed from the top half. And they could yeah. be naked, basically, from the navel down. <laughs> in their bikini or, bottoms. Or in wet but, swimming trunks. In their bikini bottoms, yeah. But you remember, you, I mean, there was a time, which you, you and I can remember, obviously, because we're so old, where you used to go on holiday, yeah. and you were on holiday. And that was yeah. that. You didn't talk to the office. The office didn't talk to you. Now, you go on holiday, and basically, at some point, you will end up, as you are doing now, having to work because of the internets. I know, but the problem is, it's more stressful because you run around yeah. in your sweaty bikini yeah. and you are, you've got sun cream in your eyes and you're trying to work out which Wi-Fi to get on and then you're start shouting, swearing. I mean, the whole thing has been quite tricky and stressful this morning, yeah. as you know. I think this is all an evil plan just to stop us from ever going on holiday because it becomes too much of yeah. a hassle. Well, well you, I think you learned your lesson last week once you never go on holiday. I did. I was so punished. you? By EasyJet. Well, I decided for, recklessly for having fun. <laughs> that I was going to take five days off oh. to go and see my daughter who has just come to the end of her interrailing in Rome. Right. And so I thought, yes. I'll go to Rome, have a nice thing in Rome, then I'll drive her to Florence and Siena and make her look at some art. In fact, she just wanted to go around all the vintage shops, which was actually rather good. But uh, but yes, yeah. I, I, got, I got caught up in the so-called travel chaos um, at Pisa Airport. Oh. Pisa Airport is and not a great airport at the best of times, but it was no. extraordinary. It was for some reason the airport was absolutely solid, solid because all the flights were delayed going back to the UK because apparently no one could land any aeroplanes because there was just chaos this end. So all the flights yeah. were backed up, and then the Pisa Airport decided to close everything at sort of seven thirty. Right. So, so it was full of people who just didn't, you know, couldn't. It full of families with kids couldn't find any thing to eat the only thing you could buy to drink really was beer which is not ideal if you're sort of six um, <laughs> I know and I got and I you know the flight was delayed and it was delayed again and, and I felt quite sorry for the EasyJet cabin and crew because they were fa- they were great but there's just not enough staff I mean these these airlines have just fired everybody taken all the furlough money and then not rehired yeah. anyone I mean it's just idiotic yeah. yeah so when you got home you were absolutely Exhausted and thought, what I really need is a holiday. That's what I really need is a holiday. That's the last time I go on holiday. It undoes any benefits you may have gained from eating nice pasta in about 20 minutes because you're sort of furious and your heart rate is, you know, you're about to have a heart attack. And Well, uh, do you know what? Strangely, lots of people do have heart attacks on planes. Do when they? I wrote because you uh, wrote that book, didn't uh, you? Air Babylon. Yes, when I wrote Air Babylon, one of the absolutely extraordinary things is going through an airport is so stressful that yeah. by the time you arrive on the plane, you have a heart attack because you've <laughs> because it's been so exhausting going through the airport. That yes, yeah. there was quite a high ratio of people yeah. actually having a heart attack on an airport. Well, the thing the thing that made me made me want to have a heart attack at Pisa Airport was the fact that we'd all gone airside because the thing is when your flight is delayed. 
Um, and EasyJet sent me a message the day before saying, by the way, there won't be any food or drink on your flight. So can you make sure you bring a sandwich and a soft drink? That was the message from oh. EasyJet. So I was like, okay, right. fine. That's nice of you to tell me. And then they sent me a message saying the flight was delayed. But the thing is, you still have to show up at the airport 17 years ahead of your flight and course, yeah. go through security. It's not like your flight's delayed and therefore you can spend another two hours on holiday yes. no 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 you still you have can, to turn up at the allotted time and the thing about Pisa Airport was that so we all had to get airside and then of course all the restaurants and everything were shut airside but you could see there was a massive bar the other side which was open until about 10 o'clock <laughs> you were like oh we can... no it was so annoying <laughs> I kept saying so you could have I, had a couple of gins and some Twiglets. I could have done. I could have had dinner. Not cared. I asked the security guy if I could go back through. They said, nope, you can't go back through. Once you're through, that's it. You're trapped. So um, the only thing we could find to, to eat were duty-free Smarties and obviously some Camel Lights. Oh, yes. Very, very nutritious. <laughs> very nutritious. Um, I mean, you know, it was just crazy. But yeah, and I eventually got to bed at about four o'clock. Because of course, then when you get to Gatwick, then you've got to try and get home, which is not easy. Yes. Sort of no, impossible as well, because that would really require public transport working. Exactly, which there's none of, no, because no. I don't know why there's never any public transport. Anyway, coming up no. on today's show, we're going to be talking to David Emanuel, the man who designed Princess Diana's mm-hmm. wedding dress, royal expert Hugo Vickers, who is fantastic and brilliant. Charming. And who worked, who worked on the Jubilee in 1977. And the lovely Will Torrent, who is a pastry chef oh, and general fantastic. man in charge of chocolate who's Excellent. going to give us some tips about how to make sure your food is a celebration in its own right. It's a Royal Jubilee special. David Emmanuel became one of the world's most famous fashion designers when chosen to create the wonderful dress worn by Princess Diana at her wedding. It was seen by over 700 million people who tuned in from all around the world. David joins us now from Windsor, where he lives. That's a very good choice of postcode, David, for this time of year. <laughs> Do, do we call it Royal Berkshire? Royal Berkshire, <laughs> <laughs> So it must be absolute chaos there. Darling, there's a certain seesaw in the air. I was in town yesterday. Normally at this time of the year when all the tourists are in, you zip in quick, shop and get the heck out. It is bombarded. I mean, delightfully, uh, the flag is flying over Windsor Castle. Her Majesty has just returned. There is bumping everywhere and shops are groaning full of memorabilia. You've never seen, and there's a certain madness. um, (laughs) Because as we all know, it all kicks off tomorrow. Yes, and have you got people camping outside? Because I love those people. Those are my favourite people. Luckily not outside my home, because I've got a big gate of privacy. (laughs) But um, no, I mean, there is throngs of people. We we have some American friends in town that have come Mm. over specially for the whole week to celebrate. So half of me is doing sort of interviews with the likes of you. The other half, I'm trying to get them into gigs that they, they may appreciate. But um, it, 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 it's been busy. So how have you been preparing? Have you been stocking up from uh, with Jubilee food from Marks and Spencers? That's well, what I've of, been doing. Well, of course. You know, I mean, honestly, I mean, it, it's a huge challenge for the retailers to keep up with consumers, to keep consumers happy. And then in between all this, I've judged a Jubilee dog show at Garda Polo Grounds in Smith's Lawn. And this afternoon, I'm judging a children's jubilee art competition for charity. So Goodness I've been me. kept very busy. You're an old hand at all this stuff. How does this compare to, to Princess Diana's wedding? Is it more honestly, or less it's, insane? It's, it's like a, honestly, it's like a replay, honestly, really. Yeah. I mean, the amount of interest, specifically from the Americans, 
who yes. were always very last minute. Um, mm. They say they're coming into town. Once they hit town, they expect everybody to jump. Well, hello. Of course. But, you know, I, I'm slightly prepared. I don't know if you've seen the paperwork. MRSIS is a customer-based yes. engagement platform that works with retailers to help them engage with consumers. And um, they released some extraordinary figures I've been reading and um, trying to keep up with what is going on. I mean, they're predicting 58% of Brits have something planned. I would say yeah. more than that. But they said, and they also say 49% of Americans have something planned. Regarding shopping, when I say the memorabilia shops are bursting, they're predicting 8.1 million Brits will be shopping. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we do when we have a day off. Do you think that Harry and Meghan have actually sort of piqued the Americans' interest in the Jubilee more than they would have otherwise I, been I think, interested? I think it's helped. But do you ask anybody in Windsor now, and the royalists, deeply embarrassed, and they don't want to talk about Harry and Meghan. And equally, they don't want to talk about Prince Andrew either. Everybody no. sort of planned that they've had enough. You know what I'm concerned about, Sarah? I don't want this with their big entrance, with their children, that's fine. Obviously, yeah. you know, the, the grandmother wants them there because they're family, but we don't want to really overshadow that the Queen... No, quite. What are we doing? We're congratulating the Queen for 70 years of service. And it should be, a, it is a celebration. That's why we're yes. celebrating. We're having four days of celebration. I hope they arrive in town just as they are. They don't want to be royal anymore. They're, they're not working royal. And mm. I hope they haven't come into town with a film crew, you know, their own film Well, I, I was speaking to someone the other day who said that if Meghan turns up on the balcony, she just thinks everyone, that the people will just boo. I mean, there's, I think a lot of people are very cross with them about how they've behaved. And it sort of feels well, odd that they're sort of turning up now. I mean, why are they here? I mean, they don't want to be well, part of this pageant. Well, that. But, but we have to remember, you know, he's the godson of Her Majesty the Queen, and mm-hmm. perhaps this is, could be a healing moment. Um, mm. But they're not working well. They've decided they don't want anything to do, and they've moved to America. Well, get on with it. You know, that's mm. what they want, and that's what they've got. But it's, it's interesting why they've suddenly come back at this time. Of course, it's Meghan's daughter's first birthday. Mm. So, yeah, you ask anybody, the, the royalists in Windsor, they're not happy. But of course, I mean, the Queen hasn't met her granddaughter yet, a great granddaughter, no. I guess. No. So I suppose no. it's a good time to do it. And hopefully, mm. hopefully they'll be able to keep their egos in check for five seconds. That, that, Sarah, let's hope so. Yes, indeed. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. <laughs> I hope your American guests enjoy the pageant. What are you going to be doing? Well, I'm definitely going to the light of the beacon. Tomorrow, as we know, we've got the Trooper of the Colour. There'll be the balcony yep. scene. There'll be the fly pass. And then they're lighting beacons. Her Majesty, I understand, is going to light the London one from Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be in Windsor. And they, 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 they're sending beacons to all the capital cities of the Commonwealth. So it's a huge celebration. I'm surprised and, they haven't but, asked you to light one. I mean, it's oh, just rude. What a good thing. Yes, I'd step up and do that. But uh, <laughs> the other thing I'm concerned about, you know, this 96-year-old lady is a huge schedule. And I hope oh, yeah. she gets okay. I hope she really does. I hope she's taking her vitamin uh-huh. injections. That's what I hope. <laughs> 
and obviously a, a small maybe injection of gin, which you probably will very much need by the end of it. Are you having a garden party or street party? Well, I'm going to Wales. <laughs> oh, my, my own country. Oh, I have a, beautiful, I have a, beautiful. I have a shack in Crickowl, which I go to, and yeah. I'm taking my children. It's where quite because a lot of my family. From. Yes, I don't know if you saw the, the show. Mary Berry was, was trying to find a dessert for, for, for the street yes. party. Yes, yes, and, and so she, she has a trifle. trifle. Well, you could make a trifle, darling, and, and give it to the Do you know what? I absolutely loathe trifle. I watched that show. Oh, yeah. and I, I honestly, if someone gives me a trifle, I want to throw up. I can't, I don't know what it is about it. As well as being Welsh, I also grew up in, in Italy. The Italians call trifle zuppa inglese, which means English oh. soup. English soup, oh, yeah. which basically mm. for me describes the trifle. Maybe that's why I don't like it. But no, I don't. I'm not keen on a trifle. I think I'll probably just go for a walk. That's what you do in Crick. <laughs> exactly. Well, you've got beautiful countryside to go walking. Yes, yes and a so. lot of pubs. A lot of pubs to choose from. So I will probably go to a pub. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, raise, <laughs> raise a glass for me. I will. I will. I will. In fact, there's a wonderful White Castle winery around there when they make very nice Welsh sparkling wines. So maybe I'll raise a glass of that. Very lovely to talk to you. I hope you have a lovely Jubilee weekend. And yourself. And yourself indeed. Take care. That was fashion designer David Emmanuel. The Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977 was marked with celebrations on a scale previously unheard of. The Queen and Prince Philip toured the country for three months, with crowds as large as a million turning out to greet them. Street parties took place across the country, and the Queen lit a bonfire beacon at Windsor Castle, starting a chain across the entire country. Hugo Vickers, broadcaster, author and royal expert, was part of the team which made the Silver Jubilee so special. And he joins me now. Hello, Hugo. Hello, Cara. It's so lovely to talk to you. So tell me, I mean, what are your memories of that? Well, of course, I was only a very small cog in the whole system <laughs> in those days. I was 25 then, I'm 70 now, so I kind of go with the, <laughs> with the jubilee years. So that's you are the Queen's Jubilee personified, really, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, in a funny way, I was born in the reign of George VI just after Churchill became his Prime Minister in October 51, and yeah. the King died in... 52. Anyway, what I was doing, um, first of all, was to try to festoon London with silver jubilee flags. We had a special symbol, which was the sort of Gothic crown with St. Paul's Cathedral in it. It was terribly difficult to begin with, because as you know, the British are very apathetic, but then they suddenly wake up and they suddenly thought, goodness me, we can have fun with all Mm. this. And Mm. after the Queen came back from Australia and had a short break, jubilee fever broke out. And I'm not a very good salesman, but I gave one to Apsley House, which, of course, on Hyde Park Corner was seen, Piccadilly, Park Lane, and people going round, and then everybody wanted them after that. So had you rung me up and said, could I have a Jubilee flag, I'd have said, where is your office? If you told me, well, we're in... I'll jump on your bike. (laughs) I would let you have one, but I'm afraid if you said you had a, you know, you were going to hang one in a museum in North London, I probably would have said, look, we, you know, I wanted priorities. I wanted them to be seen as by as many people as possible. And and then I took on arranging some royal visits, which was rather fun as well. And then wrote a history of the celebrations in a little book called We Want the Queen, which was um, Mm -hmm. actually later on used as something of a handbook when they came to arranging the Golden Jubilee all those years later. Well, yes. I mean, three months is quite a long time to be touring, isn't it? 
Well, it's not only that, of course, because she was um, going to all the countries of which she was queen. So she went to yeah. you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and so on. So it was a very, a very exhausting tour. Even Northern Ireland she went to secretly, which was, of course, considered to be quite something in those days. Yeah. And um, yes, and it was fantastic. And, and as the celebrations took off and as the millions of people came out, then it just sort of rolled right through the summer, right up to the end of the year. And everybody had a lot of fun. I always say, if you want to get a village hall built, Call it the Jubilee Hall, and it'll be built like a flash. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Hugo, I do remember being a child in 77. I do remember being given um, a mug. Did all the, well, didn't absolutely. all these children get mugs, I seem to remember? Well, that's it. They do, and for subsequent jubilees as well. And it's a very good way of finding out how old people are. I remember um, <laughs> when I was at school, um, my matron um, saying that she remembered the diamond jubilee of Queen Victoria and that she was four, and I was able to work out exactly how old she was. I don't I don't <laughs> remember it at all, because, of course, I was living in Italy. We didn't. We, I don't think I even registered, and I certainly didn't get a mug. Oh, I still got my mug. <laughs> 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 yes. Well, it's it's a, it's a, it's it's all to do with also creating memories, and I think nothing yeah. quite so special as this one because you know realistically no one's ever had a 70th a platinum no. jubilee before, and you know if we lived for a thousand years, I don't suppose we'd ever see another one. And no. When, in a few years' time, people are looking back on the history of the reign, I think this will be one of the great iconic moments. You know, these next four days, you know, will be really special. I mean, you know, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee of 1897 is is sort of comes towards the end of the biographies of her, you know, as a great sort of moment of celebration. And this is, although the Queen is, as usual, generously saying she wants to use this jubilee as a chance to thank the general public, it's really mm. the other way around. We should jolly well be thanking her, don't you think? I completely agree. Uh, we seem to be thanking her mainly by making her into A, cakes and B, knitting. I've noticed that yes. when, when the British celebrate something like this, we go mad with the knitting and mad with the cake making. I was, there's a whole Queen that's been knitted in a church somewhere, I think, in Norfolk. <laughs> yes. The way the Brits celebrate things like this, I just think is adorable in so many ways because did people knit the Queen in 1977 or were there crochets? Oh, I, oh, I think they did everything. I mean, there were socks with E2Rs on them. There were <laughs> handkerchiefs. There were tea towels. There were mugs, yeah. as, as Imogen was saying. This time, there, of course, there are, you know, blow up corgis and all sorts of things. I mean, all the sort of symbols that when things yeah. are with the Queen are appearing all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I've even got a giant cutout of the Queen in cardboard, which terrifies people when they come to my flat. Is it in your window? Uh, it, it wouldn't be seen in the window, unfortunately, but um, yes, it should be, really. <laughs> no, I, I think it is a really great moment. I think it's also particularly, I mean, I don't know, because I don't know what Britain was like in 1977, because I wasn't here. And Anyway, I was 10, so I probably wouldn't have noticed. But I do think that there is something, it's been such a difficult few years, and I think this is going to be a real sort of drawing a yeah. line under all of that. It feels it feels like we're not just celebrating the Queen, we're just sort of celebrating still being here, still actually being well, sort I, of able... I, uh, yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think I certainly wouldn't have written the script for the Queen for this year so far, you know, with the problems she's had with her family yeah. and, and her health and sort of the speculation whenever she drops out of anything. I mean, frankly, at the age of 96, after <laughs> 70 years on the throne, she shouldn't have to do anything that's no. the, the least bit tiring or complicated. No. And, no. and as you say, well, we've had COVID, we've had Brexit, we've had many other problems. And um, this is a great moment for everybody to come out and show that they're still around and have fun. And what better way of doing it than doing it in the name of the Queen? Do you think after this, do you think she will 
then just lie on a sofa and eat lime creams for the rest of her? No, I don't. Um, I certainly don't. But I think the wonderful thing is that, you know, she has Zoom, which is so marvellous. So we Mm. can see her from time to time doing things. I mean, I I was, um, you know, beleaguered with questions after that she didn't turn up for the state opening of Parliament. Mm. Well, frankly, if I'd been her private secretary, I wouldn't have let her do that. Hot hot lights, television cameras, a convoluted speech live on television at the age of 96. No way. But of course, if she does these Zooms, we see her from time to time chatting yeah. to people. We know she's around. And, yeah. well, I mean, I hope she'll get to um, to Royal Ascot in some way. There's no reason why she shouldn't. I'm sure um, I don't think anything would stop her getting to Royal Ascot. She does, she does love her Gigi's. And what do you think about Charles? Do you think he... I mean, it's difficult for him because he's been waiting all his life. But I think he's... How do you think he's he's managing through all this? Well, I think he's managing rather well. Um, of course, he. I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, the Queen obviously is a hard act to follow and has a sort of very particular place in all our hearts. And, and he's been more controversial. And I mean, the Queen came to the throne so very young that she didn't mm. have time to be controversial, if you like. And he has. But of course, he also comes to the throne when he does more mm. experienced than any of his predecessors. And he's had plenty mm. of time to think about it. And I think, of course, in a funny way, he becomes a sort of different man when he becomes king, rather like Edward VII, the sort of rakish Prince of Wales, turned out to mm. be a wonderfully diplomatic king. And if you look at what happened to Camilla Parker Bowles, she was the hated mistress and then almost overnight turned into the supportive wife. You know, mm. how did mm. that happen? It was extraordinary. Mm. And I think actually, I don't know, do you agree, Sarah, that he's sort of assuming a certain gravitas? Um, I mean, when he did the opening of Parliament, I thought he did that very well. And, you know, he's slipping sort of very easily into the role when he needs I, I to think, take I think place. He, I think he's actually played it very well. And I think he's, well, I think he's just being himself. It's difficult for him. He can never, obviously, he can never live up to his mother in terms of, you know, when he becomes king. I mean, there's no way. I mean, he just he just no. physically won't because he's already in his 70s. I think he's understood that he can't try and best her, but what he can do no. is follow respectfully in her footsteps, which is what he's doing. What she's, of course, doing at the moment, which is interesting, is tying up a lot of loose ends for him, yeah. like the um, asking about the Queen Camilla thing. I mean, if he'd asked for that, there would have been a hoo-ha, but when she did, yeah. it all was very smooth, which is great. He, of course, could then do quite a lot to make things easier for Prince William, couldn't he, in the course yeah. of his reign? You know, he could institute some changes, and I'm sure he's had time to think about it all. He knows what it is to be a constitution monarch. I mean, he's understood all that. Yes, and I think Camilla has really come into her own. She's, and as you say, she was she was characterised as the sort of terrible mistress, but in fact, she has been what he always needed, which is a sort of constant companion. Yes, I mean that's that's the extraordinary thing. You know, they were together, they were prized apart. They came together again, they were prized apart, and now they are together. And I mean, she's very good with him, and she's very good with the the press and the general public. And, yeah. and she's never said a single thing that's been controversial. No, no, and I and I I know moment. Diana fans will hate me for saying this, but I think their romance is actually rather sweet. I mean, you know, as you say, they were they always wanted to be together, they couldn't be together, and now they are together. And it's I think you know that there's something quite admirable about that. I mean, I think they genuinely care a lot about each other and they are proper soulmates. Yes, and had I been, uh, you know, his uh, spin doctor, I would have said that, I mean, there was no, one of the duties of the Prince of Wales is to keep the Protestant succession going. It perhaps doesn't have to mm. be Protestant anymore. But, you know, so he produced two boys. But, you know, after the divorce and after Diana died, I mean, surely he is allowed to have the companionship of somebody, you know, a soulmate, yeah. as it were. A lot of people do that. And mm. she was never going to produce any more children. She's never going to sort of no. get in the way. Challenge be, him in that way, no. No, no. But, I mean, 
he did move heaven and earth to be with her, and that's extraordinary. Well, he did. And I mean, going back to it, I mean, I remember thinking, first of all, it was pretty impossible for the Waleses to actually get divorced. You know, we, mm. I mean, it just seemed to be unthinkable, but they did. Mm. And yes, yeah, so it took a long time, of course, but gradually it came round. So I think it has worked. It has worked. And I think the Queen was actually the instigator of all of that, really, wasn't she? I think she understood what was going on. And and that's what's so wonderful about her. Is she's always been, she's a great traditionalist, but she also knows when you have to break with tradition. She's very practical and she's very canny and she moves quietly and slowly. Um, they always mm. say the monarchy is never quite in step. It's either a step ahead or a step behind. In some ways, mm. it's better if it's a step behind. But mm. um, yes, I mean, if you think of the difference between what the rain was like the beginning in 1952 and uh, how it's all conducted these days, it's been an mm. enormous amount of change, but it's been subtle and gradual and that's very important. And I think she has shored it up in a way that maybe one would never have expected really i mean i think i think well, she leaves yeah. behind a very a very house that is very much in order doesn't she despite all the difficulties that she's faced i think that's right i mean i've always um thinking about alfred the great thinking she should be called elizabeth the steadfast but um yes. there's also another element which is interesting which is that she's a tremendous conciliator and you know the, the simple messages that she gave in the documentary the other night on, when cine films were shown was all mm. to do with family values and sort of companionship and the advantages you can get from that but if you listen to her speeches she's always conciliating and i mean mm. even way back in 1958 she had the um president of Germany came on a state visit and the government and mm. the Queen were way ahead of the British public on that one. And it was mm. always her message is, we cannot forget the past, but we must build mm. bridges to the future. And she puts aside any personal feelings she might have, you know, for example, with with Ireland and, you know, you think that Mountbatten was blown up by the IRA and yeah. she reckons that she's shaking the hand of Martin McGuinness, you know, it might help yeah. people no matter of all of us, you know, which yeah, is great. Yeah, she's, she's a great sort of, as you say, she's, she, she's sort of balm for the soul, really, isn't she? She is. She is. And, and you know, she's, she's very, very good at representing Britain, but she's very mm. modest as a, as a woman, you know, so as a, in herself. Yeah. She actually never asks for anything for herself at all. I mean, uh, the only extravagance she has, which is one which is greatly enjoyed, I think, by a lot of people, are her racehorses, and she's very yes. knowledgeable about them. That's yeah. expensive, but why not? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it really, it's not very much to ask for. You, I could talk to you all day, but I'm not allowed to. So, um, well, <laughs> it's been... <laughs> very enjoyable to chat anyway. <laughs> I hope you enjoy your Jubilee. Are you doing anything special? I am. I'm going to quite a few things, the concert, the pageant, and um, yeah, I, I think it'll be great fun. I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. That was Hugo Vickers, broadcaster, author and royal expert. Over 16,000 street parties are due to take place this bank holiday weekend. And whether you're catering for the entire street or just putting together something for your family, there is no reason it shouldn't be something special. Joining us now to give us some food for thought, ho-ho, and ideas for this weekend <laughs> is Will Torrent, Waitrose's senior brand development chef and award-winning consultant pastry chef. You sound like my kind of guy, Will. <laughs> Well, I do try. <laughs> um, I was just talking to an earlier guest about the trifle, the Jubilee trifle. Mm. Does that come under pastry? Absolutely, yes. I think trifle is the most it looks disgusting complicated, food, doesn't it? I think, but also, I think it's disgusting. I cannot stand trifle. I don't understand why mm. this has happened. I am not going to be eating a trifle. What is the alternative? Well, there's lots and lots of alternatives. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with a cream tea. A beautiful, mm. beautiful mm. butter scone or scone, however you say it. Is it, is, it butter, is it cream first, then jam? It is, cream. isn't it? Because the, 
Because the cream is the butter, isn't it? That's what you have well, to remember. It dep- well, of course, it all depends on where you're from and, and which way you like Devon it. Devon and me, Cornwall, isn't it? Absolutely, Devon and Cornwall. And so the Devon way is cream first with the jam on top and the Cornish way is mm. the jam first, then the cream on top. As long as it goes down the same way <laughs> and you enjoy it, <laughs> the hatch, then absolutely fine. For me, it really depends on what jam you're using. So if, oh. you're using, uh, if you're using a beautiful, fresh kind of strawberry or raspberry jam, for me, that's lovely underneath the jam, so on top of the scone. But actually, for something different, if you wanted to go for maybe a little marmalade option... Marmalade? Cream, no, you yeah, can't have marmalade on a scone. I'm not horrified. savages. I'm horrified. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. You have, you have to trust me on that one. Cuts through the richness of the clotted cream beautifully oh. and is really delicious. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a big fan of marmalade, so I might try that. So where are you today and what are you doing for the Jubilee celebrations? Well, lots of things happening, of course, you know, around the country. But today I'm at the Windsor branch of Waitrose and we're doing a a little surprise and delight cream tea tasting for customers. And from actually from where I'm sitting, I can actually see (laughs) Windsor Castle with the standard flying because the cream. I imagine imagine that the Windsor branch of Waitrose must be just peak Great Britain today. Must be just absolutely <laughs> heaving. There could be no more British place than that. No, literally. exactly. Nothing, hor- nothing horrid is going to happen there. Never. No, and, and we've got we've bought, we've already got customers with the exclusive retailer for the Buckingham Palace gin, which has gone down an absolute storm. So it's actually got mm. botanicals that have been picked from the gardens of Buckingham Palace. So customers are going right. to be enjoying that over the weekend. Where can I get a bottle of that? Do I have to come to Windsor? I can't come to Windsor. The traffic jams. Any 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 Waitrose branch, uh, and it's exclusive on our website site as well. Very, very exciting. Imogen's in Turkey, which is not very jubilee I'm in Turkey. What have you had a run on this week? Has there been a run on anything in particular that you didn't think that you would be like shortbread or or is everyone still making Marmite. 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 I mean... I mean, things we've actually we've just launched a brand new, fantastic, vibrant summer range, and that like things like meze and dips are up something like twenty three percent on oh, last really? year. So people are getting ready for not just the platinum jubilee, but the long weekend, getting together with friends and family. Obviously, having a big get together after the last mm. two years of not really being able to get together, and enjoying mm. fantastic drinks and fantastic food, and of course, celebrating an amazing achievement from the Queen. Do you know what's on the Queen's menu for the Jubilee? Do you know, I don't, but I imagine that there's mm-hmm. probably going to be some chocolate involved. We know <laughs> yeah. that the, the, the Queen is very fond of a chocolate biscuit cake. And is I've she? Just written, I've just written a new recipe for a kind of bejeweled fruit and nut tiffin uh, for Waitrose weekend mm. that people can make this weekend. It's got lovely uh, Highland shortbread kind of crunched into a beautifully rich, darkened milk chocolate base. Is that like syrup, a fridge cake? Exactly, oh, yeah, like a, like a fridge cake. I and love then a fridge cake. Instead of putting the nuts, fruit and nuts inside, put a little bit of, uh, we, we have this lovely little gold dust, run the nuts through this gold dust and put that on the top of the tiffin and then you get mm. a beautiful finish as well as it being super crunchy. And what's about co- coronation chicken? Are, are people eating that? Because I love a coronation chicken sandwich. Yeah, I mean, coronation oh. chicken is one, is one of those must-haves at any sort of royal event. And in yeah. fact, the Waitrose Weekend team set me a bit of a challenge this year. Mm. And they said, well, can you come up with a new take on coronation chicken? What about having it without chicken? Now, we're the only retailer to sell 
British king oyster mushrooms. And these are beautifully Mm. meaty. And what Mm. I've done is I've cut them in half, coated them in beautiful curry spices, a little bit of rapeseed oil to give you a beautiful color, some turmeric as well, roasted those through the oven and then pulled them. Like almost kind of when you make pulled pork, so you pull Mm -hmm. the, the mushroom away from itself and that you almost get texture of chicken without it being chicken so it's beautiful for vegetarians and meat eaters alike you could of course make it with chicken but then mm. you've got creme fraiche in there which just lightens it rather than it being completely made of mayo flaked almonds black onion seeds which are those kind of seeds that you get on the top of naan bread to give you that lovely mm-hmm. oniony finish yeah. and no raisins or sultanas in sight because the raisin sultanas weren't in the original recipe in for the coronation. Well, it, it was apricots that were used <gasps> for the coronation at the original. So, of course, I've gone for dried apricots in mm. my recipe. I quite like the raisins and sultanas, and I also really like the mayonnaise. Do I don't think that I, I, yeah, I love, I love it. I love mayonnaise. And I like the mayonnaise, and but I don't like the raisins. They're revolting. <laughs> oh, oh no, I love a sultana. <laughs> I love a sultana. Oh well, that's sad because I've never had it with apricots. I suppose that's more no. like a vegan. I mean, I suppose you probably have to do vegan versions of this stuff, yes, don't you know? Absolutely. So you could you could remove um, mm. remove the creme fraiche and do, use a vegan mayo, but also a, mm. a maybe a, co- a coconut yogurt would actually give you that lightness and creaminess as well. Mm. Yeah, that would um, work quite well, actually, with all, the, with all the Indian spices as well, wouldn't it? What yeah, are the main mm, spices in a coronation chicken? You've normally got turmeric in there to give it the, mm. a, a beautiful colour and then just a, a simple curry powder blend as well. Right. And we've instead of putting it in between two slices of bread, we've served them in little baby gem lettuce leaves. So they're almost like mm. a little canapé as well. So perfect if you're having a little garden party as well. I have to say, if I'm having a garden party, which I'm not, to be honest, but if I am, (laughs) I I like a Marmite sandwich, a Marmite and cucumber sandwich. Do you now? A Marmite Marmite and cucumber is my favourite. Yes, it has to be very, very, very white bread, you know, the stuff that you're not supposed to Mm. eat. And then you have to put a lot of butter on it, which has to be obviously soft. Then you put Marmite, Mm. then you put cucumber, and then you cut it into little fingers, and it's just heaven. Delicious, delicious. Will, can I ask you a question? How long in advance of the Jubilee have you been planning all these special things? Oh, I think probably five to six months. So Mm, beginning of the year. So we, we kind of sat down and we're thinking about, I'm always thinking about what, what's next. We, we, when we're developing products for Waitress, we work a year ahead. So we're already mm. working on next summer. We're actually already starting on next Christmas. Mm. So we're always thinking wow. ahead and also looking at what customers are buying this year. Mm. You know, is, is there a flavor that they're really enjoying? Well, you know, I'm in the branch today, like I mentioned, and I'll be able to talk to our store partners to go, you know, what are customers talking about or what are you, what are you enjoying? And that's, that's something that's really, really good knowledge for us. What are the sort of fashionable foodstuffs at the moment? I'm really, I'm really over avocados. The big thing for me this summer, and I'm having it on basically every meal I can at the moment, is whipped feta. If you imagine feta, so you've got the acidity, you've got that chalkiness, mm. remove the chalkiness, but add a creamy factor. So we've got creme fraiche in there as well. It's drizzled with a little bit of bit of olive oil and some sunblushed tomatoes. You can have it with tortilla chips or, or as a dip, but actually I with a roast that. chicken, with a roast chicken yeah. or, or on a burger, that's going to be, for me, that's going to be on every barbecue I have this summer. How do you make whipped feta? You buy it from Waitrose. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. I can't do it at home. 
I mean, you could blitz down some feta and you could add some okay. creme fresh. You could whip that okay. up with some cream. But we've done all the hard work for you and you can enjoy it even more. <laughs> What's your hot tip for Christmas then? Just, well, I've got Imogen. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking you must, there must be ah, something she's, amazing. She does like to forward there, plan, Imogen. You yeah. do forward love a forward plan. I'm not going to give away any secrets, but prepare to oh, be amazed. No, Prepare no, to be no, amazed, that's all I'm going to say. You have to okay. give away a secret. Just one secret, come on. Oh, one secret. On. Mm, one let secret. Me think. Um, a small secret that no one cares about. Come on, there must be one. I'll give you a little secret. It's very okay. familiar, mm. Yes. but it's mm. very different at the same time. And that's all I'm going to say. As long as it's not a trifle. That's all I care about. I hope you have a lovely afternoon giving people scones. Actually, I think that's a lovely job. I'd like to have that job because no one's going to say no to a scone, are they? Does anyone ever say no to a free scone? I don't think they would. I mean, we've got we've we've obviously got a beautiful Cornish clotted cream on these all butter scones, mm. and then we're topping that with we've got a number one raspberry elderflower and pink gin jam to go on the top. Oh, oh. Jesus! Uh, I love the I quite like the number one range. I'll tell you an awful secret that when I do my shopping from Waitrose, I put number one into the mm. search bar. It's like food porn. It's uh, you, you know mm. uh, when you're doing your Waitrose oh, shop, Sarah. it's it's very fun, and they, they occasionally have sort of things that you wouldn't have thought of i quite like the number one range a lovely dessert then you've got to try for the summer in the number one range it's a raspberry and rosé wine tart it's beautifully light a little bit of booziness coming from a a rosé wine jelly on the top deliciously fresh raspberry curd and a beautiful pastry delicious with some fresh raspberries and some rosé that sounds right up my street that's your five a day right there yes (laughs) yes Yeah, plus plus some lady wine. That's all you need. <laughs> some lady petrol, as we call it in our house. Some lady petrol, yeah. Some <laughs> lady petrol, job done. Perfect. Well, thanks, Will. That was great. Have a lovely afternoon and happy Jubilee. Thanks very much. Happy Jubilee to you all. Thanks very much. <laughs> that was Will Torrent, Waitrose's senior brand development chef. He sounds great. I want to go and work for him. I want him round my house mm. immediately. <laughs> like the way he's always thinking about food. Seems to be just a brilliant job. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all of our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster Wag or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 